Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike. As you probably know if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time. Uh, so we're about 20 games, actually. I think quite a bit less than 20 games at this point. Goodness, I've completely lost track of how many games the Pistons have played. Uh, whatever the case, we're really starting to hit the final stretch run of like the, I would say, third, but three and a half, you know. Uh, rebuilding season for the Pistons, if we take into account that last half of the 2019-2020 season before I got cut off of COVID, in which the Pistons, well, more like the last third, in which the Pistons were just completely tanking and then had a nine-month off season that was completely brutal. So uh, it, it's a period in which, of course, things are different for the Pistons. They are no longer a treadmill team that's just trying to win at any cost, uh, no longer just trying to make the playoffs, no longer following uh, a kind of an owner who seems to have the philosophy of an owner who seems to have realized the error of his ways, but for a long time felt that this was just kind of like another venture capital product and uh, project in which, hey, we're going to take this business and we're going to turn it around, establish a new culture, and we're just going to get better and better from there. Uh, it doesn't work in basketball. You need the talent. Business never had the talent. I mean, the closest they kind of came to kind of sort of maybe possibly ever having anything that would get them past like the first round was uh, that team from the end of the 2015-2016 season uh, was Jackson, KCP, uh, Marcus Morris, uh, Tobias Harris, Andre Drummond, uh, Stanley Johnson off the bench, whatever that's worth. Can't forget Anthony Tolliver too. Uh, but of course, that didn't work out. <clears throat> you know, Jackson got injured. Morris regressed. KCP regressed. Um, Drummond decided halfway through the season he didn't care anymore. Uh, and he regressed also. And uh, there was Tobias Harris was the only guy who actually continued to improve. Pistons had a horrible coach. Everything fell apart. Even then, I would argue that if everything had gone right, uh, with you know with the players and personalities in that team, they were not going to make it past the second round. And the second rounds would have required pretty good health. They would have had to be a mid seed and not play against the, the number one or number number two seed. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I digress. So, uh, I understand it's grown to be a bit of a frustration for for a certain percentage of the fan base who are understandably tired of watching this team just uh, lose seventy five percent of their games. And and I think that's perfectly understandable. Um, even even I, who you know, would rather be having things go uh, this way, like have the Pistons, well, not like they really had a choice this year or last year or really even a year before that, aside from the end of the season when they just started outright completely tanking the last couple of seasons, which they should have. It was the right decision. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it gets tiring to watch a rebuild of this length. Uh, this season was never meant to be this depressing. Uh, Kate Cunningham going out really kind of changed the character of it. And uh, a lot kind of has gone wrong. I mean, of course, Sadiq Bey was a player a lot of us were excited about. Uh, he took a big step backward this season and then got traded. Um, we just, you know, Isaiah Stewart's had an up and down season. Um, Killian Hayes has had an up and down season, a lot better than he was last season, but he's just still had a share of difficulties. Now, we've we've had some bright spots like Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey, of course. And, you know, but in general, it just hasn't really been all that great. It's been, it's been a grind. The season for me has not been very enjoyable to watch. It has been a grind. Most of that is just the fact that the season itself has been a grind and, and less fatigue from watching a third straight season of the Pistons really struggling. I mean, it was, it was new in the first season. It's like, haha, roof for loss is great. You know, the Pistons are finally doing the right thing. And in, in that second season, which would be last season, it was like, you know, okay. Uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be okay, I suppose, with the Pistons becoming, you know, abruptly becoming a better team, winning more games. Uh, they didn't. Injuries certainly didn't help. But 
and, and then it was another ten, you know, another season in which the Pistons were one of the worst teams. Okay, fine. You know, down the stretch, not fun to watch them tank down the stretch again. But okay, it's what they're supposed. To, you know, you do that, of course. And it's it's a second rebuilding season. It's like okay, you know, t- two bad seasons. That's just what it is. And you know, I've been asking for rebuild for a long time. And uh, cool. And then this season where it's like, okay, maybe the Pistons will take a little bit of a step forward. And, you know, it would be probably for the best for them to be continue to be just a really, you know, for them to end with a really bad record. So you get odds at higher odds at that, uh, you know, these high picks in the draft. That's really kind of the top two or three at this point. Uh, And like the draft is always going to be the best place for for the Pistons to find, you know, top tier elite talent or get their best shot at top tier elite talent. Um, But it, it has gotten a little bit tiring and it's, and it's, it was distressing that, that these last two seasons were capped up by one in which, you know, that the team's kind of keystone player, or it was ostensibly going to be the team's keystone player was out. A lot has gone wrong. Two best players in the team have both been veterans over the age of 30, would be Boyan and, uh, and Alec Burks, and so on and so forth. So where I'm leading with all of this is that I, I've seen a certain amount of, of angst in the direction of Troy Weaver. You know, is Troy Weaver doing a good job? You know, why do the Pistons, why do the Pistons still have a terrible record for the third year in a row, you know, for his third season? And so... I thought in this episode, uh, I would just go over really from top to bottom what Troy Weaver has done so far and maybe grade each of his moves. Uh, how do I feel about Troy Weaver as a whole? So I'll just go over that first. Uh, I think that he hasn't been perfect. I was a little bit more excited about him in his first season. And um, basically, we're at a point at which, and the, the Wiseman Bay trade was a little bit puzzling for me. I mean, like I said, if, if, if certain things were true about Bay, that he was unwilling to accept certain role, that he was accepting certain money that he hadn't, expecting certain money that he that he really definitely hadn't earned, and uh, whatever else. Basically, just if he wasn't listening to the coaching staff anymore, that was kind of an issue. Uh, Wiseman is a lottery ticket who really, really overlaps with Marvin Bagley, who's under contract for two more years. And again, you can't play either of them, whatever. I'll get into this when I actually get to the... I talked about this last week, but I'll get into this... You know, that'll be basically the last move I go over. And moves are done this season, obviously, because trade deadline's over. You can sign 10-day contracts. That's about it. You can sign guys to non-guaranteed. You know, you can you can still sign guys, but obviously, the yeah, whatever. Pool of guys you can actually sign is, is pretty darn small and not consequential. So uh, I, I just, I feel like, yeah, he hasn't been perfect. And he's certainly been a great deal better than any general manager the Pistons have had since early day Dumars. And this is a controversial take, but I think that early early day do you know early days Dumars I call lightning in a bottle. I have this uh, this argument like uh, my brother loves to bring this up, but who does not uh, he would agree not not know very much about basketball, so we just largely bring this up to be obnoxious. Uh, that uh, you know that's that, oh, always you know Judah, Joe Dumars a good uh, good GM and uh, whatever. I I digress. He just he just does it to be irritating. But what I say is that. Uh, sure, he won a championship. You can't take that away from him. I think he got very, very lucky early on. I think he caught lightning in a bottle. He put together a group of five players as starters uh, who were drastically more than the sum of their parts. Uh, I mean, that's you got to be more than the sum of your parts if you want to win a championship. Uh, but the, the going-to-work Pistons were a great deal more than the sum of their parts. And then from there, the second the cha- they won the championship, from there it was downhill. The team atrophied. I mean, he drafted badly. I mean, Darko, Darko gets forgotten, but doesn't really get forgotten. He gets excused to a degree because uh, because the Pistons won the championship that same year. Uh, obviously, that was a big flub. <laughs> you know, you have uh, you have four Hall of Fame players in the top five, and the Pistons uh, walk away with the bust. Whatever. Uh, but he was always a bad drafter. Uh, he let that team atrophy. He let the depth go away. He traded away young players. Even you know when you look at uh, when you look at Flalo and. Uh, you know, these are bench players, but guys like a follow and Amir Johnson, uh, you know, for picks, he just, he, compl- 
you know, that's not a big deal, but he completely failed to keep the team, you know, to keep the team in depth, you know, uh, to, to, to keep a, like a solid rotation. And of course it was, it was the right thing to let Ben Wallace go because Ben Wallace didn't really have that much left in the tank. And back then the salary gap was very, you know, very substantial, but basically it was, we got the starting five. Okay. We won a championship and now we're just going to basically just rest on those laurels, not voluntarily, but rest on those laurels and, and just let the team atrophy. And by the time 2008 came around, it, he, he rightly decided that the team's window had passed and it was time to rebuild. He just went about it in an absolutely terrible, horribly stupid way that I think was was much more representative of his skills as a general, his actual skills as a general manager. Like, uh, I'm not taking anything away from him. He got everything together uh, for the 2004 championship team. But it came when it came time to actually keep that team um, well-stocked and then Later, much worse when it came time to to actually uh, like rebuilding on the fly is tough. But he traded the wrong guy. He signed the wrong guys. Um, the Pistons were a mid lottery team for a long time. He was a terrible drafter, uh, and then he panicked in his final season uh, and made a couple of completely idiotic trades. Uh, actually, you know, excuse me, a couple of completely idiotic trades and you know one just abominably, inexcusably stupid signing. We all know who that was. Uh, and, uh, beyond that, it's, you know, aside from Joe Dumars and Stan Van Gundy, it's been a long time since the Pistons had any GM, but I would, I would rank certainly Troy Weaver in terms of his performance as, as better than, uh, at least better than those two. It's been 20 years since the Pistons won a champ, almost 20 years since the Pistons won a championship, put it that way. Okay. Now that I've gotten off of that severe digression, I will say about Troy Weaver, get back to what I was saying that I think, uh, it's, we're going to see in the next few years, how things go. It's obvious it's possible. Some things will happen that will just not be in the Pistons' control. Like, for example, goodness forbid, forbid like these, the, the injury issues with Kate Cunningham turn out to be long-term. I mean, that's a big loss if that happens. I don't think it will, but I'm just talking about scenarios that, that could be conceivably out of his control where just injuries are an issue for key players, whatever else. But really, it's just going to come down to if he can execute on, on his long-term plans in his next two years. Development's going to play a key role in that. Of course, he's the guy who drafts the players. So I would say the jury is still out. I don't blame this season on him. I certainly don't blame the last two on him because the Pistons weren't meant to be good at all. They were meant to be bad. Uh, but I uh, I don't blame this season on him either. I mean, he he assembled a bit of a mess of a roster, certainly. A roster that can't play defense. But uh, again, this was meant to be another developmental season. And yeah, I understand that, that, that for a lot of people, that's a little bit difficult to watch, but that was just what it was going to be. We've heard that next season is when they really want to start making a step forward. It could be difficult to do so. Uh, I talked about this in an episode a while back uh, about what it's going to take for the Pistons to make the postseason next season, which basically boils down to a combination of a lot of development, um, you know, drafting, <laughs> you get a high draft pick and, you know, maybe some help in free agency. It'll be, you know, may or may not be very difficult to come by because it's a, it's a very thin free agent class. Most free agent classes are thin these days because all the best players are other restricted free agents who, uh, you know, who get new contracts from the team that owns their, their RFA rights. Uh, or the really good players sign extensions. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm just saying it's it's really going to be the next two seasons. So the next three seasons. So let's get to the actual meat of the thing. I've already been talking for 13 minutes and I haven't even gotten started. So Troy Weaver hired, I believe, June of 2020, right in the middle of the COVID summer. We can all think back to that, all of us who were on watching the Pistons back then. Uh, that was a nine-month off season. It was not fun at all. You know, <laughs> basically. Just a small number of teams who were nowhere even remotely close to the playoff line, uh, you know, not, nowhere even close that they were they were not going to be able to get anywhere close at all. We're basically just exiled. Didn't get to play in the bubble. Um, they basically were just told your season is over. 
The Pistons were, of course, one of those. All the other teams got to go and play at least eight games in the bubble. So, yeah, he came in then. And uh, from there, I, I believe um, the entire roster was remade inside of one year. Um, uh, less than that, actually. Um, because I, I believe that the roster turnover became fully complete in the summer of 2021 when Sekou Dumboya was, uh, was sent off to the Nets and subsequently waved and he's out of the league. I'd still love to hear that story. You know, he was, at least on paper, a a very young player who um, had a lot of raw potential, very athletic, whatever. Nobody wants him. Yeah, I, I got to think that there was a reason why he was dumped uh, and, and subsequently just never picked up since, even on, you know, just even as a flyer by anybody. But, uh, you know, let's... Uh, Let's get to it. So uh, move number one, and I'm going – anybody, you can go on, um, on Basketball Reference, get a full list of anybody's, uh, anybody's trades. But uh, some of them are, oddly enough in this instance, uh, not actually listed. So uh, if I remember correctly, trade number one was Bruce Brown to the Nets for uh, – I never knew how to pronounce this guy's first name. I know his last name was Musa. And a second-round pick by way of the Toronto Raptors. So uh, Bruce Brown was kind of, goodness, it's going to be one of the players I talk about a little bit longer. Bruce Brown was this, he'd been with the Pistons for two years. He'd shown a little bit more potential. He'd been completely shoehorned in as a starter by Dwayne Casey in his rookie season on a team, you know, on a roster, excuse me, a starting lineup that already had one non-shooter. So two non-shooters around Blake Griffin. Of course, Casey's strategy was here, Blake, take the ball and score with it. So that wasn't as big of a deal, but it was dumb. Um, He'd showed some improvement. In his second season, uh, but still was very much a minus on offense. But you know, super hardworking guy. You know, with p- potential as a multi-positional defender. You know, as long as he get a shot together, he could be a valuable role player. Um, but was already. I mean, he he came into the NBA. I think at like the age of twenty-two. So I think he was already twenty-four at the time, and probably just. And, and kind of a low ceiling player is, is inevitably just going to be, you know, he he had a ceiling as an effective role player, but, you know, on, on particular teams, he's been good for the Nuggets this season, but he's in the absolute perfect position. He has learned to shoot. It's important. Uh, he's also playing next to Jokic and Bruce Brown moves well off the ball, you know, cuts well and so on and so forth. Uh, you're not going to find a better player to head to, to, to feed a player like that than Nikola Jokic and, and Brown just in general. I mean, when he starts is the fifth most important starter. He is he's asked to do very little in terms of like actually actual of his own agency, but he's a good role player there. Uh, Detroit Weaver look at him and say, "Well, I just want to remake remake this entire roster," or you know, or did he just not see Bruce Brown as a player who's worth keeping around? You know, relatively low ceiling role player who you know on a team that was probably going to be rebuilding for the long term. Well, whatever the case, uh, Bruce got sent out, and. Yeah, that was the first domino to fall. Now, how do I feel about that deal? I mean, in retrospect, I feel fine. I mean, Brown couldn't shoot. Uh, he really couldn't shoot until this season. Last season, he uh, was was that season before. He played two seasons for the Nets, but he didn't really become like an actual, honest-to-goodness, reliable shooter until this season. He was going to take time away from younger players on a rebuilding team. Uh, I believe he uh, he only had one season left in his contract. You know, it made sense. Was the return great? No, they waived Musa. Um, it was only a second-round pick. But that's that's what you expect to get for a player like Bruce Brown at the time. So if I'm going to grade, you know, I might as well try to grade each of these. Um, I, I'd give this one just a solid C, not a good move, not a bad move. Uh, I don't really feel in any particular way about it. I, I don't think Bruce really had much of a role 
and uh, much of a role on the you know the rebuilding Pistons. Uh, though you know he's he seemed like a really good dude and a locker room leader. But um, so yeah, why don't we say C plus? I think it was the right thing to do. Um, he turned out to be a good role player three years down the line. Though he, he was a solid role player for the next two seasons for a team that required even less of him than the Nuggets did. You put Bruce Brown, you put almost anybody who's not completely incompetent on offense next to two of you know two abs to two to three because the, the the Nets had Harden at one point as well. Absolutely elite creators. Um, you know you can stand having a player who's not you know who, who's very limited in capability on on offense. So, but this season he is a genuinely solid role player. So moving on, and man, I got to go through these quite a bit more quickly, or this is going to take like three hours to record. Uh, so next up, uh, this was actually a trade that was made before the draft, but not executed until after the draft. And that was uh, trading away uh, a future protected first round pick and receiving from the Houston Rockets, Trevor Ariza as a salary dump and uh, taking on DeLon Wright as well. And eventually, oh, excuse me, this this all got folded into, uh, pardon me. So they took on Trevor Ariza and the 2020 first round pick from the Houston Rockets. Trevor Ariza was a salary dump. And they traded away that Isaiah, that pick that was originally owned by Houston. It was heavily protected through 2027. That's the longest. This, this, that is the furthest ahead you can tra- effectively trade a pick of seven years. Excuse me, seven drafts. Uh, and yeah, they received uh, Houston's 2020 first round draft pick, which was number 16. So. This is what ultimately got the Pistons, Isaiah Stewart. <clears throat> and um, I really like Isaiah. I've been on this. I mean, I, I, have, I don't think he's likely to be a high-ceiling player in the NBA. I think he'll be a role player for a long time. I think he's a great culture guy. He's just a great locker room guy who can, who can be a rotation player for a long time. What I don't like about this trade is that for a rebuilding team, it tied up the team's first-round picks for a long time. Because basically how it works in this situation is, you know, you, you can't, this pick is protected through 2027. So if the Pistons for that entire time, are not going to be able to trade a pick except for on draft night. And we're not going to be able to trade a pick until 2029 period, because basically Houston or whichever team owns that pick, it's now New York. It went from, uh, from Houston to Oklahoma city at the 2021 draft. And it went from Oklahoma city to New York in the 2022 draft. When a team owns that pick, it's basically uh, until you find at the end of the season, that's or until the lottery or whenever it is that that pick definitively belongs to you, you cannot trade it, you know, period. So it's, it's basically, then also there is the step in rule. There is the, the step in rule as well. So basically even after you find out that it's yours, uh, you aren't guaranteed to pick the next season. Step in rule says you need to be guaranteed to pick. Uh, you, you cannot be without a pick period. Uh, I'll rephrase that. You need, you cannot be without a pick in two future consecutive years. You need to be absolutely guaranteed to pick in one of those years. So, you know, the Pistons, you know, sure, once that pick becomes theirs, they still, you know, there's no guarantee that they will have a pick in uh, the following season. So once you get to the draft, the clock gets reset, and then you can drive, and then you can trade the pick. But it basically means no in-season trades for the Pistons. You cannot make one of these big trades. Like, let's say the Pistons really, like, you know, are in a good spot next year, and, they, you know, and, and they want to, you know, make it a really good opportunity becomes available, and they need to trade some picks, and they don't, just, they don't have them. They can't make that. That trade. So basically, the Pistons. So Troy Weaver tied up the Pistons' first-round picks for a long time uh, for a mid-lottery pick, and you know that may or may end up not being a great thing. Um, you know, if the Pistons have you know one good season, um, like next season, I believe the pick is protected top sixteen. So let's say the Pistons are 
you know, managed to be the sixth seed, which would be like a huge coup, then okay, the pick conveys. That's not great that the pick conveys. Also, that's a double-edged sword, but that, that picks, that, you know, that frees up your picks. Uh, whatever the case, I mean, you take that into account. You take into account, um, you know, who Isaiah Stewart is and how, you know, and, and what he projects as. Then he, whatever, I'll give this one a B just because I really like Isaiah Stewart. Uh, and that grade would drop uh, where the Pistons, you know, where we to find out the Pistons, you know, would that they were in position to make a really good trade, but just couldn't pull the trigger because team wanted draft assets, you know, future draft assets. Um, <clears throat> next up uh, would be actually draft night. So Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart. Um, Killian Hayes, like I said before the draft, he was he was just going to be completely awful. They should they should definitely draft somebody else. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, amongst the players who were available at that point, uh, I thought that Killian. Uh, Killian was the one that I wanted. I thought he really had a chance to be this kind of high caliber floor general that the Pistons really needed. Um, hasn't gone as expected, to say the least. He's had some bright spots this season, but also a lot of very bad spots. He was horrible last season. He only played part of his rookie season due to injury, but he was very, very bad in that. Um, so uh, I, I'm not going to go through and and draft, uh, excuse me, grade the draft picks. It's just, um, you know, that that's an entirely... Grading draft picks when these players aren't developed, like unless players have already flunked, is kind of um, that's just kind of hard to do for obvious reasons. I mean, you can look at and say, well, okay, you should have drafted Halliburton. It's like, okay, well, in, in retrospect, that is clearly the right decision, you know, with him to draft Halliburton. And and for what it's worth, uh, it was one of the B writers who said this a while back that yes, Halliburton did tell teams that he didn't want them to draft him, that he wanted to go to Sacramento, that had nothing to do with the Pistons' decision to draft Hayes over him. Um, also, in this draft, I mean, that was the COVID draft. You know, you couldn't really, the amount of available data and, and the, the amount to which you could work out players, uh, everything was, was drastically reduced. I mean, you could look, for example, at Isaiah Stewart, you, look at, you could look at Sadiq Bey, and this is one thing about the 2020 draft. All right, so it was reported first by, it was out of Shams or Woj, said, okay, the Pistons are keying in on, on Anise Smith at number 16. Anise Smith got taken, Anise Smith hasn't been good, Aaron Anise Smith. They ended up taking Stewart with that pick. Um, according to to Desmond Bain, the Pistons called him twice and said that they might draft him. And the Pistons ultimately went with Bay instead. And uh, obviously, that was a wrong decision. Desmond Bain has been pretty darn good. But, you know, for, for most draft picks, you can say, well, they should have picked somebody else who went later. So uh, that's not what I'm going to make this episode about. Uh, another move, and, you know, he, he took on uh, Tony Bradley and uh, in exchange for a second-round pick in that draft that became Saban Lee. Um, Saban was, I mean... Another good move. I mean, it's one of these things. If we're going to throw a grade at that, it's like, okay, you, you take on salary, get on the second round pick at this stage of the rebuild, and, and just pull the trigger on a guy you think can help you. I mean, that, that's a hard move to look down on. Um, you know, Bradley, uh, I believe they ended up trading away later on. Ugh, okay. I really hope this is enjoyable to listen to. I'm at 27 minutes, and I'm just at the beginning of the fucking 2020 draft. Excuse the language. All right, so let's turn it to speed mode here. Uh, okay, next one, trading canard. And four second round draft picks uh, to the Nets, you know, in a three team trade, ultimately became the pick that became Sadiq Bay. The four second round draft picks were a little bit much at the time. I mean, seconds still have value, whatever, beginning of a rebuild. You're trading away Kennard, who was up for a new contract, who did not fit the team's timeline. I mean, that, that's a trade I'll go back and look at and, uh, you know, and easily, regardless of what happened with Sadiq, give like an A minus. The four second round picks were a bit much. That was because the, the Clippers were concerned about his injury history. Um, but you trade away a player like Kennard, get your first round draft pick. Um, you know, in, in the teens, that's a good move you make, period. Next up, trade away Tony Snell and, and Kyrie Thomas to the Hawks for Dwayne Dedman. 
and then buyout Deadman. This was a move to open up salary cap space. Uh, the fact that Deadman was stretched was pretty puzzling at the time. So, um, you know, Snell had no future with the Pistons. Snell not really an NBA player. Kyrie Thomas just never really get a shot, but apparently was not good enough to catch on anywhere else. He would play for the for the Rockets um, toward the end of that season and score a lot of points for a really horrible team, but he never caught on after that. So, <clears throat> uh, goodness gracious, I'm just going to stop grading stuff because it's going to get a little bit tedious and arbitrary, whatever. This was a move that was meant to open up cap space. It was completely and utterly befuddling at the time. Uh, you took on a long-term sell. You took on long-term stretch salary from Dwayne Dedman, whom the Pistons are still paying. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of a rebuild, it was like, what on earth was happening? I mean, the, the purpose for this would become clear uh, not long in the future. So, um, and right, Tony Bradley ultimately got traded for Zaire Smith, uh, otherwise known as the guy uh, whom the Sixers, Brett Brown, and his only, like, minor stint as acting GM traded away Nicole Bridges. You know, great move. And a first-round draft pick, which they later used to bring on Tobias Harris to play number four option, uh, and then maxed him instead of Jimmy Butler. So, uh, in any case, so uh, really the next bid, you know, that that move kind of was what it was, and they stretched Zaire Smith as well. Again, free up cap space. And then came the real whopper, which was uh, Jeremy Grant and and Mason Plumlee uh, getting really all the cap space that had been freed up. So, looking back, again, weird move. A move that obviously worked out quite well for the Pistons. I mean, Grant did not help the Pistons win too many games. He was a good player. You know, he helped the Pistons not be a complete joke of a team. And he also uh, ultimately got traded away for the pick that became Jalen Duran. So, cool. Uh, Mason Plumley, good locker room guy, provided some passing. And uh, was one of the absolute worst starting centers in the league in a season in which the Pistons were awful and ultimately got the first overall pick. So, you look back on it... Um, you know, the, the the gamble that Troy Weaver took on Jeremy Grant, which seemed stupid at the time, was actually a good one. Uh, Plumley ultimately had to drop 10 spots in the draft to dump him. Uh, but it's tough to look back on these moves and say, well, these were wrong because the Pistons ended up with the first overall pick. Now the Pistons end up with the sixth pick. And, you know, maybe maybe you'll look at things a little bit differently. Um, fortunately, Plumley didn't really cost all that much to dump. But it was a bit of a befuddling contract, three years. And, and then you pay to dump him after one. Um, but again, <laughs> you look back on it, it's kind of hard to say, you know, you look back and you say, well, all of the, these things, Ben Plumlee played his own role in the business, ultimately having the lottery balls fall in their favor. Oh, yeah. One that I didn't reckon, uh, did not um, mention was Christian Wood uh, being folded into the Isaiah Stewart trade uh, in, in exchange for enhanced protections on the pick. Um, I had my doubts about Christian Wood back then. Like uh, during that during that kind of like half season in which he was he was looking really good for the Pistons and was a really exciting thing. And on this podcast, we were talking about, oh, is Christian Wood going to stick around? Um, I was never sold on the guy's attitude. He like I always noticed that his teammates never seemed to be very. He was always hard on them on the court, and they never seemed on the bench to be particularly hyped when he had a big game. Uh, his attitude had been an issue before. Talented player, bad attitude. Uh, I was kind of uh, a little bit. I was I was pretty iffy on. I'm paying him. Apparently the Pistons gave him a pretty low, you know, low ball salary offer. I imagine he would have ended up being traded later in the season. If, if he had signed with them, he said, no, I was not overly unhappy to see him go. Cause the Pistons were not trying to win. I didn't want to see the guy get long-term money. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, and then traded Trevor Ariza to the Thunder, got DeLon Wright in return. Uh, DeLon Wright in a serviceable guard. We'll talk about him later. <laughs> signed Servetus, uh, Go back to the 2019 draft. You want to learn about Servetus. Basically ended up on the team because Arn Tellum's son was his agent. Signed Jaleel Okafor, who is a terrible third center. Uh, resigned Wayne Ellington, who, whatever, was a player on that team. Signed Josh Jackson. Did not work out. Absolutely the kind of move you want to make. And, and Troy Weaver would make this several times after that. 
You take a flyer as a bad team on a potential high ceiling talent. Josh Jackson is not an NBA player, unfortunately, but it is absolutely the kind of move that you would make. Uh, Signed Frank Jackson, turned out to be a decent player. Goodness, this is going to take forever. I really hope you're enjoying this. All right, so we move on. Uh, Ultimately, in the middle of the season, okay, trade Derrick Rose uh, to the Knicks for Dennis Smith and a second-round pick. Uh, This was a favor to Rose. I mean, Rose ultimately wasn't going to be on the team. He did not have a future with the team. He wanted to be traded. He was traded the place he wanted to go. And uh, the return was a second-round pick that turned into Isaiah Livers. A second-round pick and a strong 2021 draft. You know, um, you know, pick in the high 40s. I believe, uh, yeah, the high 40s in, in 2020 was nothing to sneeze at. Dennis Smith was a reclamation project. Again, a theme for Troy Weaver. His reclamation project did not work out. And, and, and DSJ would flunk out with the Trailblazers the next year. This year, he's playing... He's, you know, playing bad minutes for the horrible Hornets team. But the kind of move you make. Uh, traded Svi Mikhailuk to, you know, and it's like a 20, 27 seconds to the Thunder for Hamadou Diallo. Again, another good move. Diallo doesn't look like things are going to work out. Um, I'd be surprised if he is on the team next season at anything greater than the very small salary. He still can't shoot. Um, he puts up points sometimes, but he comes with a major cost on offense that, that you can't see in the score sheet. The idea was that if he can become a shooter, then he's a starter in the NBA. Completely agree. Didn't work out. Still a move you make. Traded DeLon right to the Sacramento Kings for Corey Joseph. And uh, a, 20, a couple of uh, second-round draft picks. So, uh, again, good move. You trade a player who you're not going to, who you're not going to use um, for another player and some draft capital. And Corey Joseph, of course, went on to become a Pistons legend. Not really, but he was a re- he's been a really, by all accounts, a great locker room presence for the Pistons. And you get some draft capital uh, in the bargain. So, good move. Happy with that. Um, you go into the draft. You select Cade. Obvious move. Um, you have to dump Plumley. Not ideal. Is you you know you drop um, you drop ten spots from the thirties into the forties in you know in a, in a pretty actually into the fifties I believe. Uh, in yeah, from thirty seven to I think fifty two. I think Garza was the uh, was the return. Not ideal. Livers solid pick. Garza flyer. Balsa Copervita remains utterly baffling uh, because yeah he was. Just a bad player in the NCAA with not really much upside. Okay, so you go into the offseason. You sign Kelly Olenek. So, solid role player, whatever. You give him three years, a little bit weird. It's non-guaranteed, basically, the third year. Um, but you're making the choice here. He's your backup center. You're making the choice between an athletic big uh, and a guy who can stretch the floor a little bit, at least on paper. Uh, unfortunately, Olenek would get injured. Didn't really spend much time on the courts. He missed, I believe, more than half the season. Uh, this was not a great signing. It was a good signing only in the sense that the Pistons ended up being bad and that you were ultimately able to trade him for, for Boyan down the line. But on the spot, it really hurt the Pistons that they did not have an athletic big in the lineup to play next to Kate Cunningham. Instead, he was playing next to, you know, most of his minutes next to Isaiah Stewart. Um, and goodness, forgive me, who on earth was the third string center on the team that season? Oh, right. Ended up being Trey Wiles. Okay, so... Uh, this was bad for Cade. Uh, Cade, who really benefits from having an athletic big on the team. Uh, you know, it's a pick-and-roll partner. Isaiah Stewart is not that. And just having an athletic big on your team, most teams have several of them, is very nice. Catch lobs, um, you know, just just be strong in the pick-and-roll, whatever else. Cade didn't have that. Isaiah Stewart made his life a lot more difficult in the early season until, you know, until the Pistons made a certain move I'll talk about soon. That was from Marvin Bagley. Uh, Signed Trey Lyles, a little bit weird. Um, but, you know, solid enough role player to a small contract. Uh, signed Saban Lee to a multi-year contract, uh, which was almost entirely non-guaranteed. Excuse me, it was guaranteed for the first and second year, but not a very small salary. Um, and then re-signed Roddy Magruder, whatever. Solid, um, 
you know, solid veteran for the locker room. Signed Frank Jackson to a multi-year contract. Good idea. Uh, a fairly good idea. It was, on a, it was a small contract, and Frank looked like he really had potential as a motion three-point shooter. Didn't get it together. Signed Corey Joseph to a multi-year contract. Most people are going to hate this. Solid locker room bet. Um, and, you know, and gave some money to Diallo. Again, good idea. Guy who developed. He could be a valuable player. Uh, you dump Sacred and Boya uh, and Julia Locafor, whatever, for a DeAndre Jordan cash and some picks. Um, again, a little puzzling at the time. He's like we've given up on. Clearly, there was something going on there because he hasn't been picked up. Um, DeAndre Jordan went on to become a Pistons legend in the zero minutes he played, and uh, and the Pistons got some draft capital out of it. Solid enough move. And now let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoop section to the palm of your hands with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you get a bonus bet back. For example, you could bet on the upcoming Tank Bowl between the Pistons and the Hornets. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 in any NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, and, and from there, it's quiet until you... <laughs> okay, here's one that a lot of people don't like. I know this. So you trade Roddy Magruder and the, the meaningless 2022nd uh, second round draft pick, which I believe had an, a lot of protections on it. It was going to be low anyway because it belonged to the Nets and, and they were a very good team at the time, I think. No, whatever the case. I remember this being like a, a, a pretty, the pick was largely meaningless. So Bobo has turned out to be a much improved player this season. However, let's look at where he was at the time. Uh, it was found that he needed surgery on another foot. So both feet at this point would have had, would have had substantial surgeries on them. Um, he had been absolutely nothing special in the NBA to that point. So basically, this was a player who was injured, uh, who was going to need another significant surgery, and uh, was going to be out for the rest of the season. Kind of made sense for the Pistons to avoid the trade. You can say, oh, who is also going to be an expiring contract. Would the Pistons have been likely to keep him? Um, I, I guess the fact he was going to be a restricted free agent, but clearly, I mean, this was a flyer of a trade that they cost very little. Bull Bull was just a, um, you can argue that the Pistons should have just made the trade and see what, you know, and saw what happened. You know, that, that's a reasonable argument to make. Nobody could have seen Bull Bull, I think, improving to the degree that he did, however. Uh, in the vast majority of these cases, a player just fails out, and you don't look back and, and examine this with the benefit of hindsight. This season, he's much improved on offense. Still, notwithstanding the blocks, still major struggles on defense, much better attitude, which he's, he's noted as, as an important thing. All right, so February. That year at the trade deadline, of course, we know what's coming here. Trade Josh, uh, Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles. Um, you trade... Uh, one of the picks, you trade Sacramento's own pick back to them uh, that you got in the Corey Joseph deal uh, the year before. And you trade away, um, yeah, the pick that the Pistons actually got in the Drummond deal from Cleveland. So that was the last vestige of him on the team for Marvin Bagley. So Marvin Bagley, another flyer. You're seeing a theme here. Uh, a guy who was kind of stupidly taken at number two, but just wasn't working out in Sacramento. You hope that you can you can take some of that raw offensive talent and that he's no longer a terrible defensive player. Um, it was a good thing for Cade. He wasn't good that year, but it was a good thing for Cade because Cade finally had a guy who was just a who was a vertical spacer, strong in the pick and roll, could score at a high percentage in the paint, and you know that was good for him for the rest of the year. And again, you're taking a flyer on talent. You know, and Detroit Weaver would go on to sign him to a contract I wasn't a huge fan of, but whatever. Again, take a flyer on talent. That's uh, for for a very very low cost. It was basically. A meaningless second-round draft pick, a 
potentially decent second round draft pick and a couple, you know, a player in Josh Jackson who was pretty much done and Trey Lyles who was absolutely disposable. So then we move on to the summer. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Jaden Ivey uh, and Jalen Duran. So, yeah, I was a fan of the Ivy pick at number five. He was kind of my 1B after Matherin. Uh, oh, sorry. Completely forgot this Jeremy Grant thing uh, because it's a little bit later on the list. So I traded Jeremy Grant for a 2025 first-round draft pick from Milwaukee. And ultimately, uh, during that draft, you know, at that point, it looked a little bit puzzling. Ultimately, like, I don't know, did he know beforehand that this was going to, that, that this was how things were going to go, whatever the case. Uh, you package that. You basically take on Kemba Walker's contract and send out that pick. Um, and in exchange, you get the, and I, I think also a couple of second round picks. Yes. A couple of second round picks. And in exchange, ultimately you get the, uh, the draft to the, you know, the draft rights to Jalen Duran from, uh, the, or basically the opportunity to make that pick became Jalen Duran uh, from the Charlotte Hornets. Like fantastic move. Sure. Jeremy Grant, the guy you signed for free, not signed for free, but you got him free enough to trade for him. You trade him away. And, you know, you're basically getting a, a great return on this, that investment and that you can now uh, draft to a, I was, you know, I was a big fan of that selection, Jalen Dern. So it came out of that draft looking pretty darn good. And uh, we're getting close to present day now. Only took me 43 minutes. And I'm kind of concerned that this is going to be a dud of an episode. But um, you take on um, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, and uh, two future second round draft picks. And... I really was a big fan of this. You know, that was um, like Alec Burks is a, you know, we've seen him this season. He is, he is a solid veteran presence and he is an elite shooter, like an elite three-point shooter. You can always use guys like that. Nerlens Noel, Jalen Duran Insurance, whatever. Didn't go on to play many minutes, but basically you're taking on two solid rotation players from the Pistons. How to use four and you're getting second round draft picks in the process. Like fantastic. Also Jalen Brunson, you know, you're also helping Jalen Brunson go play for his dad. That was a joke. I don't think Pistons actually cared about that, but uh, fun fact there. Um, re-signed Rodney Magruder again just a good locker room vet all his teammates love him and you know he's like the 15th man of the roster Kevin Knox to a multi-year deal <laughs> again reclamation project have you seen any of these with the Pistons before that uh, the answer obviously yes so um, Kevin Knox would ultimately be shipped out in the Sadiq Bay trade um, he did okay with the Pistons from time to time as a three-point shooter and a guy who, who could just run in transition but ultimately just remains absolutely nothing special but low price Whatever, not a bad signing. It was just, uh, I believe, just for one and one anyway. So cool, good job, way to go. Uh, signed Marvin Bagley to a three-year deal worth thirty-seven and a half million. This one was a bit of a head scratcher to me in terms of the amounts because the Pistons seemed to be betting against themselves. Uh, no team that had the mid-level, full mid-level, was ever going to give it to Marvin Bagley, like for for obvious reasons. No rebuilder was going to do that, and no team that had aspirations of you know competing for the playoffs was going to do that. They were going to use it on a player who can help them immediately. So it was a little weird that he got the money that he did. It's like not bank breaking for the Pistons, but three guaranteed years. Like you're, you're basically giving him three guaranteed years. He's not under team. It's not a team option for season three. He's getting more than market rate. This was a little bit weird. So I didn't feel bad about it, but I was kind of surprised. And, you know, again, it's, it's entirely possible Marvin Bagley won't be here in year three. The Pistons, who knows, maybe can use him as matching salary. That, that seems to me to be his likeliest future at this point um, because he really didn't improve much over the offseason. So slightly puzzling. Probably less than ideal, um, but not catastrophic by any means. And uh, I did that one a little bit out of order. All right. So uh, September traded Saban Lee, Kelly Olynyk, and Cash uh, to the Utah Jazz for Boyan. Obviously a great trade for the Pistons. I mean, well, the Pistons haven't exactly had a great season, to say the least. 
but it would have been a complete and utter farce if Boyan weren't on the team. He was the best scorer on the team. He's terrible on defense, but uh, but he has been uh, basically essential to the Pistons being able to run something approximating a functioning offense this season. You do not want your young players to be growing up under an absolutely and utterly horribly dysfunctional offense. It's just not good for them. And uh, Boyan, again, has been a leader, uh, and he's been a player who has allowed the Pistons to not be absolutely terrible on offense. I mean, he has, he has been a genuinely very, very good NBA player. Just absolutely, like, you could say three-level scorer. Most guys are not three-level scorers. You know, three levels being, you know, able to attack the basket and score there, able to shoot in mid-range, able to shoot threes. And Boyan is legitimately a three-level scorer, creates a lot of offense, um, expertly spaces the floor. He's a release valve. Um, you can argue that Dwayne Casey leans on him a little bit too much. Um, whatever, it's a different story. But this was a great trade for the Pistons. And then finally, this brings us to the most recent trade, which I'm not going to go into at length. But it was, of course, Sadiq Bey uh, for James Wiseman. You know, there, there were two other teams involved in the trade as well. But um, that was that was it for the Pistons, basically, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the net result of it. And, you know, if you want to hear about that, uh, I guess listen to the last episode. Uh, the previous episode previous to this one. So, yeah, that's Troy Weaver in a nutshell. Well, not in a nutshell. That's literally everything he's done. Uh, basically, you know, for the most part, it has been taking fl- taking flyers on, like, cheap flyers on young talent. Uh, you know, cheap in terms of what has been traded for them or just kind of signing them to cheap contracts. Um, you know, taking on salary dumps uh, for the sake of attaining draft picks. I mean, taking other steps to, you know... To, to, to help your team in, in, in the moments, not be a complete and utter joke. Uh, this would be Grant and, and, and Boyan and in Grant's case, trading them for, you know, trading him for an asset later on. And, you know, who knows, maybe Boyan as well. And just generally maintaining cap flexibility moving forward. And the Pistons could have a lot of cap space this summer. So I think you look at his moves altogether. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of weird stuff like tying up your picks and Isaiah Stewart trade. And, um, like bringing on Wiseman, you've already got Bagley. Signing Bagley to kind of like an oversized, fully guaranteed contract for three years and and, and so forth. So there have been some blips there, but uh, like just as, as you look at this in, in the overall context, you know, it, and, and for a team that really hasn't been trying, obviously, to win these last three years, I'd say he's done, for the most part, the right things. However, it's going to just depend on the next three years when we see whether what he's done uh, to, just in terms of the the roster he's put together is going to work or not. Not exactly a revelation, but what I'm basically saying is, yeah, these last, well, this season in particular has kind of sucked. It's getting old watching the Pistons, uh, you know, be a bottom of the barrel rebuilding team. Um, but when it comes to passing judgment on how he's done as a general manager, say, don't do it now on the basis of, you know, of, of what's happening now. Do it. I would say we'll have a pretty good idea maybe just a couple of years from now. So that'll be it. I hope you enjoyed this sort of rambling and meandering episode. hope I gave uh, at least some useful insight and, uh, and, and drew a, you know, a solid big picture assessment. In any case, um, as always, I want to thank you folks for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.